the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruain, tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Maximum Growth Live. My name is Jay Ruane, the CEO of FirmFlex, your social media marketing agency for lawyers, as well as managing partner of Ruane Attorneys, a civil rights and criminal defense firm in Connecticut. With me, as always, my co-host, but my good, good friend, Mr. Blue Shark Digital, your SEO for law firms, pay-per-click for law firms, as well as managing partner of a D.C., Maryland, Virginia, South Carolina powerhouse law firm with over 40 lawyers, Mr. Seth Price. There he is, folks. Seth, I see you back at home, back in Maryland. You're no longer down in Florida. And uh, I just want to check in with you. How's your week going this week? It's going okay. You know, it's, I always feel like in life and business, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, I've been uh, struggling with intake, which is one of the things I'm most proud of. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant, uh, you know, we've been working with the overseas teams, building those up in anticipation of some future work, uh, having some management issues, having to make some changes there. Uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, a continued challenge in one of those areas that like, you know, essential to, everything we're doing uh, and uh, trying to maintain more short talk today, make sure we maintain the culture of that group in a remote environment. It's, it's definitely, I feel like I'm seeing some of the pulls and tugs that have taken place during COVID. It's great to say everything's great remote and certain things were like less drama and a, a cohesive team, but I'm seeing inefficiencies, particularly within that group that I need to figure out how to address. And it's just been a, a bit of a frustration. Yeah, one of the things that's been challenging for me recently is as I sort of step back from being in the day-to-day -day management of the lawyers and the staff is knowing that I have good people in place and still being close enough to the day-to-day -day that I can see the issues arising and the managers who are perfectly capable, and that's why they're in these roles, 
are making decisions and it's not necessarily the decision I would make at that time. Perfectly good decision, justifiable. It's certainly an approach, but I would have approached it a little differently or maybe a lot differently. And I have to recognize that everybody has their own way of looking at something and I shouldn't insert myself into everything. And that's been a struggle for me is that I need to insert myself when it really matters. But on some things I can just stay out and let, let the managers do their job. Like let, let the people I've hired do their job. Uh, yes, and, and something that involved. we're going to hold for another show so because I really want to get our guest out who's amazing. But the thing I struggle with is there are times when you know something's wrong and you could, yes, you want to empower a manager, but what do you do when somebody's entrenched, you know something's wrong, the extraction as you've scaled is not always so easy. The answer, you know, you'll hear, you put something on a listserv and everybody, you know, a Facebook group, oh, fire immediately. Well, yeah, but you also want to make sure that you don't, you know, if it's something like intake, you have an entire revenue that's coming from it. Obviously, if there's poison or somebody's doing something awful, you need it out. But there are times when you know it's not right and how do you make that move? And I think uh, too often I, I am guilty and I, it's something I'm worked towards, which is waiting, not being proactive, but like, you, what, what, watching something break and waiting for that person to leave rather than making those moves. And it's really, really tough because as you, especially in the remote workforce, extracting problems are not always so easy. You're right. And one of the things that I think I'm at a point now, my, you know, my team numbers about 20. So, you know, we are we are big enough that everyone has a role. There's not really jack of all trades players. Um, you know, everyone knows what they're to do and that's their job and they somewhat stay in their lane. But what my plan is for 2021 going forward is we are going to start to search for utility players. And, 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 and try to cross train one or two people that we can add to staff that don't have day to day roles. And so they can handle intake. If there's somebody out on intake, they can handle some legal admin stuff, uh, you know, following our systems. If there's somebody down there, they can handle some, you know, some other things. Because I think I'm at a point now, Seth, where I need to have like two or two solid utility players who can fill in for people or bridge us, which is probably more important. If we have to remove somebody, I can slide somebody in who can last six weeks in intake and uh, and cover as we hire and train. Um Right. And the thing I've, as I've scaled, I maybe a step beyond that, as we're probably, you know, 80 to 100 employees, you know, the idea being uh, having a manager and a junior manager so that if something happens, the hit by the bus, the person decides they want to go somewhere with their career, whatever it is, you're not left in the lurch. That's the issue. Yeah. And limiting the number of positions where, you know, there, there are very few positions, but there are some left within the organization where if somebody were to give notice, it would be a risk factor to the business. Now, again, you'd figure out a way to move on, but it would certainly not be a good thing. And how do you make it so that you have that redundancy? You're talking about it during the scaling process of the utility people. You know, for me, it's making sure that there's bench within departments so that there's somebody to step in, you know, and, and, and give them a track and, and a possibility. But we got, we got this great guest. We can't let, let yeah, this- Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, just uh, one, one last thing I want to say about this, and then we're going to bring in our, our, our guest, um, is, is really the, the issue that I'm having is 
at, at my level, if I add somebody who is that utility player who's not filling a seat that's needed right now, that is directly impacting my net revenue to myself because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, and that's it, that's the because you have to get challenge. that's in your head because otherwise it's not it's it's you have a job that you're plugging holes with it's not stable and what so like look I'm looking at this level of you know we we always looked at it like from an ops point of view right there are certain things in ops and HR that are not. Um, quote unquote revenue producing they're not helping you service the widget but as i think our guest is going to talk about today with culture if you don't have that redundancy you end up squeezing your own employees and creating ramifications yeah. you don't want so that i you look at it hitting the, i i say that not to spend it is almost business malpractice you're 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 damaging the culture so when we talk today about you know culture and how do you build it one of the things you do is make sure that you're not working somebody to the bone anytime somebody leaves and the only way you can do that is to have that extra redundancy i think you're right i think you're right okay so so we've got a a rock star for a guest today uh a great guest. i mean just a, a great guest. i gotta give it to you uh for being able to make this connection make it happen tell us about our guest today yes yeah, there's a Vern harnish he, he is sort of like you know epicenter not you know sort of of entrepreneurs he is where where things start uh you know way back when i when i started my entrepreneurial journey uh reading mastering the rockefeller habits uh more recently really diving into scaling up for those people that uh are eos fans uh and, and traction uh gina wickman he came out of the the Vern harnish world uh for those of you that have done what was yeo now eo uh for those of you that know ypo these are all things that have uh come from our guest who is just a remarkable sort of birther of entrepreneurs and uh you know i just can't wait to see what he has to say today tons of free resources out there uh he's got an event coming up he's got his he is sort of taking the same philosophy i like to think that we do which is put all that information out there and and people will come and uh he has certainly uh lived that that and uh, can't wait to have him out here can't wait can't wait okay folks so he's in the green room now what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll have the maximum growth live interview of Vern Harnish stay with us hear from our sponsors and then we'll be right back with our interview we'll be right back many times did I say right back here we go the lawyers who will succeed in the next decade are the ones who are focusing on building their brands where people meet and there is no place better to build your brand than on social media with the FirmFlex DIY social media plan, hundreds of lawyers like you are using social media to build their brand and become the one lawyer in their community that people know, like, and trust. By spending even just five minutes a day on social media marketing, you can engage with hundreds or thousands of people in your local community who will need your services. By cultivating a network of followers, you build a book of business that you can market to the next decade and beyond. If you are looking for a solution to help you jumpstart your social media marketing, look no further than the DIY plan at GetFirmFlex.com. The DIY was created by a small firm lawyer for people just like you, helping you connect with local people online and build your brand and engage people in the topics they want to talk about, all for under $100 a month. To find out more, visit GetFirmFlex.com. In this world today, if you want to grow your business, you want to grow your firm, you want to take on more cases and make a bigger impact, you have to have a digital blueprint. Statistically, throughout the time that we've been working with Blue Shark Digital, our law firm, the Atlanta Divorce Law Group, grew over 1,400%. 
Seth and his team have years of experience in this area. Blue Shark is truly a part of the firm, so I don't consider Blue Shark any different than the employees in my office. We are honored to have Vern Harnish here today, mastering the Rockefeller habits and scaling up two seminal books in my business career. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, glad to be here, Seth. You know, I'll start off with with a question, which is one of the things, and I I, I love your work. I was a member of YEO, which then turned into EO, and I and have followed, followed you for years. But I, the, the dichotomy that I've seen, that the, the challenges scaling a professional services group, a law firm, seem yeah. to be, you know, in, in addition to all the normal scaling issues, we, we have some special ones. And I'd love you to sort of sort of start with, you know, what, you know, how you how you would talk to our audience who are, for the most part, lawyers attempting to scale a professional services practice. Yeah, well, you know, the toughest thing and we run a professional services firm as well. So we can we, we represent these comments that I'm about to share. But, you know, we run an inverted pyramid. You know, the traditional organization, the people that are doing the work are at the front line and then you've got leadership. But in a professional services firm, the people that are actually selling, the people that are actually delivering on the service are in many cases the principals of the organization, the co-founders, if you would. And so there's really no, in, in a sense, leadership at the top. It ends up not being a coherent organization, but a set of practices that have agreed to just kind of hang together and do business under maybe a common brand. And so uh, when we look at our face tool, our function accountability chart, we say, who is the head of the company? And the rule around accountability is that it needs to really come to one person. Uh, I remember one of the first law firms we worked with down in Dallas, they shoved like four initials in as head of company. It was the four principals. They each owned 25% of the firm. But then when we said, all right, the number one job at the head of the organization is to make sure we've got all the rest of the boxes filled. Who's driving marketing and sales and operations and IT and HR. Look, you've got all those same functions as any organization. And it was interesting. Three of the lawyers looked at the fourth and said, you're it. And he knew he was it. He knew he was the only one in the organization that enjoyed doing that, could do it. And so all we had to do was spend time clearing his calendar of really legal work so that there could be actually somebody driving the business. And so our, our very best uh, early law firm client out of Atlanta, the founder didn't do any legal work. He truly was CEO of the organization and made sure that he got the traditional functions in place in order to scale the organization. Jay. Sure, you know, that, that's a really interesting point because um, a lot of lawyers have this negative self image and mm -hmm. a lot of doubt when it comes to actually running a business of a law firm because it's sort of looked down upon in law schools and even among lawyers and law firms, there's a lot of negative sort of messaging out there when it comes mm -hmm. to um, being the person who actually can move the law firm business forward. How, how can lawyers sort of understand, those who are more entrepreneurial mindset, that their role truly is important? What would you tell those lawyers that are struggling with that negative self-image? Um, would they like to make more money and work less hours? I mean, that's, the, that's really the goal of all of the organizations. At some point, if you're just selling hours, um, it's hard to scale beyond a certain level. And so the extent that you have founded, 
or you're the founders of a law firm that you want to scale, you know, at some point you want to get a life. And, you know, we, we say you should be able, on the flip side, you can actually lead the organization about a half a day to a day a week. So you can still be out doing those market facing activities that you really enjoy. And that's, we ought to get to that next thing that I think is the most important KPI for the leaders of any organization, prefer, especially a professional services firm. So it's also not all consuming. It's not 40, 50, 60 hours our opening chapter in Scaling Up that everyone can download for free. You don't have to buy the book. Let's go to scalingup.com, look for the picture and there's a couple of free chapters and it's called The Barriers. And we talk about how Alan uh, Rudy, who I feature in that chapter, literally was working 80 hour weeks. And once he put our principles in place, he was able to get that down to eight hours. So it's not all time consuming, but it is the thing that'll give you the most leverage in terms of both your time and ultimately your income. And I, and I think that really goes back to developing systems to help you run your practice a lot better. So let's talk about that most important KPI because I think it's something that would that, be, that, be my next question too, Jay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think I know where it is because I've watched videos on your site and that type of thing, but I think our yeah. audience needs to learn about that. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, clearly the single most important function in scaling is marketing. Yeah. All the rest are critical. You got to keep track of the billing and all of those things, but it's marketing that the research has been clear, whether it's high tech firms or professional service firms or others that drive scale. And it's not just marketing for new clients, but it's talent, the lawyers and others that you need to bring in. It's attention in the marketplace. And maybe it's other influencers that you need to bring into the fold. And so if marketing is the most important function, then what is it we should be doing, particularly the head of the organization? And that's where I want to turn to Regis McKenna. Regis was the marketing consultant to Steve Jobs before they even had their first product, Intel, Genentech. And I cold called him as a college student in 1983 and said, hey, Regis, I want to build the world's largest entrepreneurship organization, which it is today. And I said, I'd like your help. You helped Steve get to two billion. Maybe you could help me. And so he took me on as a free client. And he said, look, there's just two things you've got to do. One, have a marketing meeting separate from sales, even if it's with yourself. And it was 10 a.m. every Monday. He had a young guy, Rich Moran, assigned to me to spend that hour. By the way, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, it was a three hour marketing meeting every Wednesday afternoon that he chaired. And that was the one function that Steve drove. Tim Cook drove all the rest. And then he said, here's what you've got to do next. Take a piece of paper out. And he asked me a question that Bill Gates considered the best question he had ever been asked. And as you guys know, our work is not so much about the answers, but getting the right question. And that question is, what are the relationships, the influencers, the brands you need to bolt onto your brand that are gonna allow you to 10X the organization? Not 2X, when you think about 2X, all you have to do is get incrementally better. But if you think 10X, then often it frees up much more creative thought in how to do that. And so I took a piece of paper out and look, I was young, dumb and broke as a song goes in college. And I wrote down President Ronald Reagan. I'm going to make have him be the first president to utter the word entrepreneur. But by the way, I did and got invited to the White House. 
And I said, look, I want Steve Jobs involved and I want Michael Dell and Inc. Magazine. And, and it was crazy. Working that list, Jay and Seth, for an hour every week in 36 months, we were global. And I had hosted the first public speech of Steve Jobs after being fired from Apple with Michael Dell and Mark Cuban sitting next to him in Inc. Magazine covering it. And so for the law firm, generally most industries, local or whatever the, the geographical uh, spans of the law firm, there's probably 100 to 250 people that are key uh, relationships with judges and other, um, uh, you know, when I got, I was involved in my only lawsuit, uh, I appreciated that John Fisher, my lawyer, really had the relationships in the community uh, through negotiations and other stuff that he could bring to bear in our particular case. And of course, looking for new opportunities. And then, you know, lead sources, if you would. And then what you want to do, this is now the most important KPI, is not the number of minutes, but the number of hours you're spending every week nurturing those relationships. And look, as soon as you can get back face to face, I think talk time's critical, more important than email. But to the extent that you can go break bread, uh, have lunch, have breakfast, have coffee. The word company means Latin derivative to share bread, uh, the more powerful. So, so for instance, I had, you guys saw in our virtual summit, I had a chance to host Monty Moran and people are considering Monty possibly a presidential candidate here in the future as he scaled up Chipotle to 23 billion in market cap. And so I had a chance to fly across the country a few weeks ago and have dinner with him for three hours. I could add a Zoom call you know, prior to him speaking, and that would have been useful, but that three hour dinner, breaking bread with Monty, um, that's more important than the other 30 hours of emails I possibly could have got done. Plus I got a lot done on the flight anyway. So number of hours that you're spending every week nurturing the key relationships, media, influencers, others that are gonna help you scale the business is the number one KPI. It's also, it seems hard though. One thing that I've seen, and I've seen it from both sides, right? So, you know, getting, getting jealous of all the scaling that you did and through my fr mutual friend and mentor, uh, Devin Shane, watching what he's done yeah. over and over again. I, I launched this uh, digital agency, Blue Shark Digital, where many more of these principles, it seems it's much easier to apply scaling up outside of professional mm. services in certain, in, in certain ways based on your sort of opening statement that you made. But you're talking about 10Xing, it seems daunting when you're dealing with those interpersonal connections, because you could put your hours towards it and take all the, the lunches. And Jay and I are about as good as anybody about staying in touch and having those meetings and breaking bread and doing all those things. It, it just seems that it's really, it, that, it, that the ability to scale in those multiples really gets limited when it's interpersonal versus things when you're leveraging additional marketing power behind it. You know, how, how do you speak to sort of the people who that are in the trenches? They're saying, okay, I'm going to free up X percent of my time. I'm going to do these things. Is it even possible or is 10X like an aspiration, but you just want to keep pushing forward? Yeah, well, and 10X doesn't necessarily have to be revenue. It could be 10Xing your bottom line. Uh, it could be 10Xing your reach. It could be 10Xing whatever your purpose is in terms of if you're a personal injury law firm or whatever it might be, criminal law uh, firm where just the amount of justice that you've brought. Look, at, at the end of the day, you want to bring justice. I, I was going to be a lawyer 
and it's a space that I, I dearly love. And the, the sense of injustice that you're out there fighting uh, to the extent that it's one of the reasons somebody got into the, into the business in the first place, to be able to 10X your reach in that particular field uh, is powerful. So it's, it's mostly a mindset. But if we even go back to your individual effort, your ability to attract in the right next lawyer who is going to be able to, that has the talent, that's gonna be able to further the goals of the firm, what a multiplier effect. For me, I can only serve a dozen clients, but now that we have almost 200 partners on six continents, we're as a professional services firm, global, and I'm able to touch 3,000 companies directly in any one day. And, and we're now working to 10X that to where we can get that to closer to 25,000 clients uh, in the next five years. And so it's about fulfilling our purpose and the difference that we wanna make in the world. You know, that's really interesting. You know, coming from my perspective, I have a criminal defense and civil rights firm here in mm -hmm. Connecticut. And one of the things that scaling my firm allowed us to do was take on post-conviction innocence project cases that matter to me. And we've been able to yeah. walk two guys out of jail on murder cases yeah. that they haven't been, that they didn't do because yeah. we had the scale. So I, so that, that, that's a really good point that you make yeah. that, that's, you know, my, uh, my, right. my scaling, my, you know, my general DUI criminal practice, just, it didn't yeah. necessarily increase my revenue because God knows those innocence project cases don't pay, but yeah. my impact on the world certainly has been, it has been able to be 10 X because I was able to do that. And I think that's something that, that our, our, our audience really needs to know is that, uh, that, that idea of scaling doesn't necessarily mean revenue. It can mean so much more, uh, that we can derive from. But one of the questions I have for you is, is just a really sort of simple one that probably would take you hours to answer. But what is the biggest misconception when it just comes to scaling? When, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional service provider. I'm myself, I've hung a shingle, I'm out there doing it. And now I say to myself, I wanna build something bigger than just me. What's the biggest misconception I need to sort of understand before I can really make that next leap? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. As I, as I think about how to answer it, just remind me, Let's do an interview of you, Jay. Uh, we've got a media site called scaleups.com where we feature all kinds of scaleups. There's a lot of you know things that love to feature sexy startups and the Fortune 500 get plenty of coverage, but the mid-market scaleups don't. And so let's tell your story about how scaling the one side has allowed you to have this kind of impact on the other. I'm just, I love that story, Jay. It, I hope that connects with everybody on this, this podcast. Um, back to your question. I, I, I think it's believing that everyone is your customer. And that's the biggest misconception. Like, uh, so let, let me tell you a quick story. You know, we hosted Nate, the co-founder of Airbnb a few months ago, just before they went public. And I, I knew Nate and the, and the, some of the guys back when they had launched and they believed Airbnb should be a global company. And in some sense, it needed to be global for the business model to work. But they never could get it to work. 
I mean, folks don't realize they stumbled for five years with essentially zero revenue. And they finally talked their way into Paul Graham's Y Combinator. They're still flailing. And finally, Paul came along and said, look, who's your best customer? And they're like, well, everybody, right? In some sense, if you're VRBO or Airbnb or Lynx or any of these folks, it's everybody. Paul goes, no, 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 no. Where do you have the most customers? And at the time, they're in Silicon Valley. They said, well, New York City, we have 20 beds. Think about it. After six years of business, they got 20 beds in one of the most lively cities in the world. And Paul goes, all right, pack your bags. You're moving to New York and you're going to stay till you 10x New York. And they did. They, they literally lived with those customers, which you could in an Airbnb model to figure out what wasn't working. They fixed it. They then took it to 200 beds and then it finally took off. And so we have what's called the 770 rule. You don't want more than 7% of the market. Uh, you want profit share, not market share. And if you think about Amazon, the you know wealthiest guy on the planet, one of you know one of the top market cap companies in the world, they only have two percent global market share of retail. Two percent. Uh, IKEA has only got seven percent global market share. Um, so what you want to do is you want to say no to more opportunities than yes, and that's what's counterintuitive. You want to find the best. <laughs> that, that's, that's the theme of our show. We go back yeah. and forth. Okay. Yeah. We talk about idea, idea quarantine, where you do a Jay comes up with a genius idea. That's a great idea. Let's put it two to six yeah. months and then decide if we're if it's still a good idea. Yeah. So that is the misconception. If I'm going to scale big, I want the market. No. You want to think profit share, God, not huge. market share. That's such a huge revelation right there because I see so many people saying, I want to own it all. And, right. and, and gosh, that, 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 that's not necessarily the way to approach it. It's, it's, it's really, it's really not. Uh, I mean, I'd love to have yeah. Amazon's market share of 2%, uh, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. but, but, but let, let's, let's talk about that because as you start to scale up, you know, I've been very successful taking my practice from zero dollars to seven figures, mid seven, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. But I, I'm starting to think that maybe I've exhausted my abilities at this point. And while I can be a visionary and say I want to get into there, you know, as my as my staff has grown, as my uh, as my marketing has grown, maybe I'm not the person who can get us to that next level. And what level of sort of self actualization, self realization, should an entrepreneur get to when they say, okay, I I've gotten us this far, but I can't make us to that next level. When does the entrepreneur have to say, let me bring in people? for more things so I can focus narrowly on what I am best at. Yeah. Um, the, the thing you want to tune into is your energy. You know, we're, you know, time management's important, but time's limited. Energy's unlimited. And so if you want to use an alternative kind of acronym for CEO, it's chief energy officer. And it starts with your own energy. 
what gives you strength. That's what a strength is. And if even if you're good at it, if it wears you out thinking about it, then it's a weakness. So I'm going to go back. I I nailed the LSAT. Uh, I want every mock trial I had ever been in. I, I've got and and I crushed this poor guy in the one only lawsuit I've ever been in. Uh, never want to be in another one again. But I crushed the poor guy um, as as he needed to be. But just send me a contract to look at. Just it's showing up in my email. I'm exhausted thinking about having to just open it and look at it. And and I realized it doesn't give me energy. And so if you go back to Steve Jobs, and I think he's a good rested soul, even though his title was ICEO, he wasn't CEO. He wasn't head of the company. The only thing that gave him energy was design and marketing. And so the only function he chaired was marketing. The only time, the only daily huddle he was in was with Jonathan I for lunch every day around design. And he let Tim Cook run everything else. So more to a mere mortal. Uh, one of my favorite clients, Randy Amon. Randy built a company in Baltimore called ABL Cables. He got it about 30 million. And I love this title, founder and head of customer service. The only thing that gave him energy was the customer service function and role. And so he brought in a CEO and a CFO and COO and folks to run all those other functions so he could stay focused on the customer service side to the point where even though he was founder, he essentially took a year off from his company and together with a young IT person built out his industry's first automatic online ordering system that saved him millions that he then showed at a trade association and a $2 billion company, Jay and Seth came along and said, look, if it saves you millions, it's gonna save us hundreds of millions. Bought his company for a gazillion dollars. And here's what's beautiful. You know, most entrepreneurs don't last very long in quote corporate world. Today, you can look him up on LinkedIn, Randy Amon, A-M-O-N. He is senior VP of a $40 billion global company. And you can guess what he's senior VP of the customer experience. So he really, he really stuck to his knitting. So Steve Jobs stuck to what he loved, marketing, which is very analytic, and design, and Randy stuck to customer service. So Jay, that's what I would suggest for you. What part, what aspect of the organization? For me, I don't wanna be, I'm not head of the company. I used to run marketing, I don't. The only thing I love is to hear myself talk, as you guys have learned here on this particular broadcast. I love the R&D side of our particular business. Well, we love hearing you talk too. Tell yeah. tell the audience, you got a, a great event coming up in April that uh, is not only, uh, you know, uh, I've, we've heard you talk many times, but can't, can't wait to hear what, what goes on here. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, but also free, which is also good. Yeah, it is. We Our way of kind of giving back to who we consider the first responders of the global economy, the scale-ups. You guys are the ones generating all the net new jobs, all the innovations, not the large companies, it's not the startups. So to support you, again, April 22nd, 90 minutes, it's free. We've got four outstanding author gurus with latest books, uh, including the icon, iconic CEO, Alan Mulally, who turned around Boeing, then he turned around Ford, and he's gonna be there for 24 minutes kind of sharing his latest wisdom. 
along with sales and marketing and uh, relationships. So 90 minutes, April 22nd for free. Just go to scalingup.com and you're going to see the link at the top to register. Let me ask you one other question, because a lot of people here, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, followed you for years. But for those that don't know you and that event sounds awesome, you know, you you have you've done both for the John Fisher Mastermind and I've seen other ones online. What's the best place if somebody wants to sort of get, you know, unadulterated Vern and the, the scaling up uh, all laid out for them in uh, which what do you what do you recommend as a starting point for people who have never really touched you before? Yeah, just go to scalingup.com. And by the way, we had to change the name of the firm. Uh, and some of your listeners might want to do the same from a branding perspective. You know, you know how important branding is out there. And, and I see the clever billboards and those kind of things. But we were called gazelles, but nobody could spell it. Uh, how many Z's, how many L's, you know, it was there an S at the end. So we made it very simple. The book's called Scaling Up. Our job to be done is to help you scale up. And so just go to scalingup.com and you're going to see a picture of the book. And next to it is a whole bunch of free links, that barriers chapter, a free chapter on how to run strategic planning with our one page strategic plan and all of our growth tools. We're an open source company. Folks can use our stuff for free. And we tried to make the book very how to. Now we've got all support services and we support, you know, multi, you know, hundred million dollar to billion dollar companies. But we're really there to support folks as inexpensively as possible. So scalingup.com. Jay. So I, I, I want to I follow up uh, with something that you, were, that you talked about a little while ago, yeah. and that is, is your energy and, and finding what it is that, that you love and, and sort of doubling down on that as you, as you begin to scale to whatever extent you want to scale your organization, right? Uh, it, it sounds to me like there is a great deal of sort of um, introspection and self-analysis that's necessary before you begin the journey of scaling because we yeah. as as lawyers and as business owners, you can waste a lot of very precious money and time if you mm -hmm. haven't had that sort of self-actualization. How important is that in, in sort of making your way throughout this journey uh, and having honest mm -hmm. conversations of, with yourself? Uh, and, and how do you extract that if you aren't necessarily in therapy? Uh, you know, you know, the therapy can certainly help you get there, but not everybody is, is saying I'm ready for that therapeutic level there. So let's talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, Jay, it's, it's, it's a super important question. Thank you. Uh, and it leads to if, if you go to the very last chapter of Scaling Up, my book, uh, it's called Next Steps. And one of the top five next steps is to put in place a routine that when I cornered Jim Collins, the iconic, you know, studier of us, Jim Collins, I said, look, you've spent 25 years studying great companies. What's the one thing that us mere mortals should do that's going to help us scale the most? And he didn't hesitate. He said, set up the council. Uh, don't call it the council, but he labeled it the council. And it's a one hour meeting, uh, different than your operations meeting, your executive team meeting. It doesn't involve all of your founders or anything like that, but it's for you to have an hour of talk time. Because here's what's, here's what's important. You said 
an interesting term, self-taught. What we found is you can't think your way through any of this. And we can actually look at the brainwave scans. The more you try to think your way through, the more it upsets your stomach, the more you lay awake at night or, or, or the like. We're a being that was designed, Jay, to talk our way through this. And so you've got to have the talk time. And so that's why the forums of, you know, where you have small group of lawyers that are able to meet together in a safe place where you can share your darkest moments and secrets that you don't want to share with your other partners or your spouse or anyone else. You need that safe place like every EO member has with their forum or YPO in their forum where you can talk out what it is that you're facing. And so every Monday morning, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. is my council. And it's the CEOs of our four major companies. Uh, and it's a safe place for me just to put out on the table, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm trying to figure out what we're gonna do next. And 90% of it, again, is just getting it out and sending the vibrations to the world. So you need that small, safe group of fellow lawyers, fellow associates, and that hour every week where you can talk this stuff out. Yeah, so basically what you're telling me is that when Seth calls me every night at 11 p.m. and says, here's my problem of the day, we're actually doing what's necessary to, to solve it. Because I, I don't know, the, the minute a problem pops up, it's let me dial Seth and see and see how uh, we can solve it together. So that's been good. But here's another problem that I think. First of all, you're so lucky. You're so, so blessed. And I, and I, want, I want to mention probably the single most important thing, and that is and this is Marshall Goldsmith, good artist borrow, great artist steal. We've done nothing but just borrow from 40 other great you know, books just in my book. And the power of having a peer coach, not a mentor, not an advisor, all those things are important, but if you can only get one thing, and that is a peer coach, an accountability partner that you can communicate and talk to every day. And so I just love the fact that the two of you have that. It's powerful. Yeah, it, it truly is. Now, um, yeah. one last question I, I want to sort of talk about is um, a lot of people, as they start to scale, they will see their competitors mimic them. And it yeah. gets very frustrating because you're saying, hey, I came up with this idea, yeah. I, I researched it, and I, you know, I started doing it, and three months later now, four of you guys are doing it. And, and what's going, how can an entrepreneur deal with uh, people that are basically just mimicking them? Or is that something that they should just ignore and say, you know what, there's always gonna be people who are following me, but I'm still leading the pack. Yeah. I was just the other day, rest his soul, talking about Herb Keller, you know, the iconic leader of Southwest Airlines. And if, if you think about it, starting with Michael Porter's famous article we encourage everyone to read called What is Strategy? Michael Porter lays out Southwest Airlines strategy down to like the interview question that differentiates them in hiring people than everyone else. And, and so uh, we had a chance to host Herb at a YPO event in Aspen. And we asked him this question. He goes, look, um, everybody knows exactly everything we do, but the reason they can't 
fully copy us is because of the secret weapon we've got called culture. And it really is a thing. And it really does matter. And that was always their secret weapon. And so there's a book that just came out. Uh, I highly recommend folks read called Culture Renovation. And I, by Kevin Oaks, and, and we just hosted him on our February 24th uh, summit. But I think he got the word right. It's not culture change. You don't want to just change everything. There's a lot you want to continue with, but you often have to continue to renovate it as you would your home or any other place. And if you can keep that culture strong, that is a competitive weapon that is very difficult uh, to copy. And then we also like to think it comes down to execution. And that's where we think we've had great strength. We, in the, in the crisis, uh, a, a woman that runs uh, one side of the Canadian government emailed and said, look, we're working with scale-ups in Canada, but it seems like those that are practicing your tools are crushing the market versus the other scale-ups. And we're like, yeah, we see the same thing. And so we just want a significant contract with the Canadian government to both test our stuff in the Northeast and then mo move it across the rest of the country. So we like to think our tools, Jay and Seth, have been really a competitive advantage because you can have a great idea, but if you can't get everyone aligned and executing on it, then you know it's at some level it's worthless. Now I'll make my final question. What are some of the things when you when companies come to you and they they come through a lot of different funnels? I'm sure, right through the YPO or or EO or or just watching your your stuff, um, and they come and they, okay you get it, you get that culture is so important. What are some of the sort of, I don't want to say easiest, but most impactful early first steps that can push companies in the right direction when trying to improve culture? Yeah, well, the first is to truly discover your core values. A lot of folks kind of did it amateurishly and they end up with kind of this honesty, integrity, teamwork, customer service. They were exactly Enron's you know, core values that didn't turn out so well for them. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. The gen, one of the guys that endorsed my book, Scott Fuqua, yeah, they only had 50, they had 50 employees when they first came to my workshop in Sydney, Australia in 2005. And we educated them on Jim Collins, Mars mission exercise, a discovery of the right core values today. They're 3,500 employees worldwide, market cap close to 60 billion. And I had a chance and Scott and I have stayed close and I had him at an event a year and a half ago in Vegas. And he said, look, a lot's changed from 50 employees to 3,500, but what hasn't are the five core values that have been at the heart of our hiring decisions and, and, and everything. And, and the way to think about it is you're playing a game and all sports, all games have a set of rules. And look, most of the arguments occur over somebody violating the rule. And this is your rule book. And these are the boundaries. And without boundaries, people don't even wanna play the game. And so that's how powerful getting the right five core values. And I would encourage you to Google Atlassian core values and see how their phrases, not single words, how they described them in a paragraph. And they've got a cool video of how they express those. And you'll see it's on their recruiting page for the next talent that they want to bring in. So alignment around a set of 
really properly discovered core values is at the heart of a strong culture. Southwest well, has them as well. Uh, that's awesome. Well, look, Vern, thank you so much for your generosity of your time. Honor and awesome. privilege to have you here. Uh, I hope uh, I will certainly be there in April uh, getting getting yes. my, uh, my fix. And uh, really, uh, thank you so much. You bet. Seth, Jay, you guys keep doing your important work. Thank you Appreciate so much, Vern. And folks, we'll be right back with more Maximum Growth Live. Hey, it's Becca here. I'm sure you've heard Jim and Tyson mention the Guild on the podcast and in the Facebook group. The Guild is this perfect mix of a community, group coaching, and a mastermind. Guild members get so many benefits, including weekly live events and discounts to all Maximum Lawyer events. Head over to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash the Guild to check out all the benefits and watch a few testimonials from current members. So head to MaximumLawyer.com and click on the Guild page to join us. Now, let's get back to the episode. Wow, Seth. I mean, these interviews, they keep getting better and better. And there's so many takeaways. I can't wait to sit back and go sort of, I, I'm going to get a transcript of this one and rock through it. But one of the things that you always say is that you do what you love, right? Uh, and if you don't like to write, don't try to write a blog. If you if you don't like to do videos. And I think Vern talked a little bit about that, about your energy. The energy is finite. And so you find the things in your firm as you start to scale uh, that you love and go with those. Uh, what were your takeaways? No, it's it sort of, you know, I, I was living it. I got the family to Florida this winter. And, you know, staying here is fine. But it's kind of depressing. I, my, my friends in the Northeast don't really leave their houses. Getting a, uh, a coffee takes an act of God. Um, you know, slowly as the weather warms, people are going outside. But being in Florida this winter, I felt that energy. That's I, I, I'm that guy, you know, that, that uh, Vern talked about where we, you know, I, I live off that interpersonal energy and get, getting to sort of visit people, taking the family truckster on the drive back, making sure that we, we saw um, friends and family and business contacts in, in, you know, along the way. That's what gets me up in the morning. And I feel that I'm that much more productive even today. We, granted, we had this to 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 uh, to work with, but it was just I the the fact that it's cold and rainy outside today, you know, didn't I, I just I was unproductive for the first few hours of the day, and the idea that in Florida I was able to get outside, sit at my tiki hut. There are things you figuring out what drives you. You're going to be that much more productive. So, uh, you know, it, it was I think great to get this perspective, and the fact that he would take his time uh, speaking to our audience was just awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is this was just rock solid for me. I mean, there's so many things that you have to consider as you're growing your firm, as you're scaling your firm, uh, and really, um, what we need to do is 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 double down and really sort of take a uh, a systemic approach to the scaling. Uh, and we didn't even get into all the different systems that you can build and that type of thing. I mean, we could have Vern on every week for the next year and not even scratch the surface of the advice that he can give to our people. But I want to thank you, Seth, for, for arranging for this today. I mean, it's it's been, it's been a great week. Uh, we've had some great uh, stuff over the last couple of weeks, and it's only getting better, folks. So I want to thank you for being with us. 
uh, each and every week here at Maximum Growth Live. Of course, you can always find us live every Thursday on our Facebook page and in many, many Facebook groups as we are syndicated. We have our standalone podcast where if you want to hear this on the go, you can take it with you. Of course, we are syndicated on the Maximum Lawyer podcast as well. Seth's got a great show if you want to double down and get into the thing that he pulls energy from, and that's digital marketing. You can follow that on the Blue Shark page, his SEO Insider, where he's interviewing people that are really, really pushing the envelope in digital marketing. And of course, we have our group, uh, Systemizing Your Law Firm for Growth, that you can join. And we would love for you to join that group. I put some stuff in it this week about how to do a system for um, uh, doing a visual check of all your websites. Uh, that got a lot of good response. Uh, and we have a lot of other systems that we're putting up there. So. There's a lot of good stuff out there, folks, as you are growing your firm. And I want to thank you for being with us. Seth, you got anything else for the people today? No, I just said, what a, what a great day. This is a great day for the yeah. show. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for about a year now. And uh, to have a, a guest like this and the fact that uh, we're attracting it says, uh, I think we're onto something really good. So can't wait to see what this next year is going to bring. I, I, I as well. I mean, this has been a wild ride. We are almost at a year. I think our first show was in uh, early May. So we're coming up. We're going to have to have an anniversary show. And uh, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. We can maybe relive some of the highlights uh, over the last year. Some of the lowlights too, folks. Some of my production values early on. This was not great. We were having technical issues. Yeah, and I would say, I'll take it as a metaphor. Because I... I very often am guilty if I, I can't get something right, I don't want to do it. And I want to thank you because not there were times we had meltdowns, we've had the software issues, we've had all sorts of stuff. We had guests not show up when we had already promoted them and having to like scramble to get them there. And the, the fact you know that you know there's a certain value in just doing things, getting it out there, having the time. Because even if nobody's else is listening, the fact that uh, as you know that I that I have a person to run these different business issues by and have that brain trust that alone has been great and the fact that we have a whole audience to give us feedback and let us know what they think about these different issues has been awesome yeah it really has been folks thank you so much for being with us we are maximum growth live he is seth price i am jay ruane and we're with you every thursday we'll see you again next week but for that bye for now thank you for listening to maximum growth live Please remember to subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and tune in live on Facebook every Thursday for our live show. For more information, visit Maximum Growth Live on Facebook or MaximumLawyer.com and be sure to share us with your friends.